What's up, everybody? Welcome back to episode 14 of Chatter Up, the greatest episode to date with your hosts, myself, Bobby Rubin, and the man who is affectionately known as the Boomstick, the Round Mound of Pound Kung Fu Panda, Jared Wiesel. What's going on, dude? I have literally never been called any of those things, Bobby, but starting today, I will be referred to as such. This week on Chatter Up, we have another great episode for you guys. We'll get into the week's headlines that we missed in What Did I Miss? We have another Would You Rather. We'll get into the Chatter Champ and Chump of the Week. I will continue my reign as champion of trivia. Isn't that right, Jerry? Okay, okay, okay. Let's, let's just move it along, Bobby. I will continue that. We'll get into, finally, a Could It Work and a bunch more as well. And of course, because you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, by all means, go ahead and give us five stars, write a review, subscribe. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and subscribe elsewhere. We love your subscriptions no matter what. You want to give us feedback? You can do it there by writing a review. We look forward to hearing it from you. So, Jared, are you ready to do this with me for episode 14? Best episode yet. Here we go. Let's do it. And let's chatter up. All right, Jared, let's not waste any time. There were a ton of things that happened in the sports world this past week, and some of which we didn't even get to cover last week that we want to throw in here. So let's just jump right in. Biggest news, the NBA is back. How stoked are you about this? So stoked, man. It was like it, was like it never left, honestly. Watching that, those first games on Thursday night, especially that Lakers-Clippers game, it, it like really brought me back to – the season and and just like all the drama between who's going to come out of the West Lakers Clippers. I loved it, man. I thought it was amazing. I agree, especially the Lakers Clippers game, which really honestly kind of meant nothing, but was so entertaining to watch. And even guys like LeBron and AD were playing the majority of the game. They were really going for it. So like, okay, the NBA's back for you, Jared, biggest takeaway. I think it's, it's, will, will the long layoff help LeBron and the Lakers get to the finals. I mean, I think coming into the season, a lot of people thought the Clippers had the deeper team. The Clippers were probably more likely to do it. Lakers looked awesome going into the layoff, right? The Lakers were probably playing better. I think Mm -hmm. in a lot of people's Mm -hmm. mind, they become the favorite. Now the question is, I I guess you would think a long layoff would help a guy like LeBron, but who knows, right? And so, like I said, just watching that game, I got right back into it, and I'm super stoked for the Western Conference playoffs. 100%. Totally agree. Bobby... We touched on this last week, the whole COVID thing with, with Major League Baseball. Last week, it was all the Marlins. Now we find out the Cardinals have a bunch of tests running through them. You've been consistent on this the whole time, that you don't think baseball is going to finish the season. I imagine this only reinforces that. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to see it happening. I mean, Manfred just came out saying he's not a quitter and the players need to do better. And the players have taken that very harshly. They are not a fan of Manfred right now. But, I mean, come on. I mean, it's it's – it's a disaster right now. It's a joke. I will say the Orioles are five and three, better than anybody had anticipated. And while it's so fun to have sports back and as many sports as possible, and so I love watching baseball every night. I'm watching no matter if the Orioles or not. But I, I, I maintain this just furthering this. I just can't see them getting through, you know, sixty games, let alone another entire playoff season or sorry postseason. It, it just it seems so unlikely. Yeah, I don't know how you have a season where this schedule has become completely meaningless, right? Because of all these postponed games, it's like teams don't know who they're playing the next day. So I don't know how you can actually make it through a season when the schedule is totally up in the air. Exactly. Quick unsung hero of the entire season, the schedule makers. Those guys, I can't even imagine the kind of work that they're doing. They had better be getting paid overtime for this. You know who's not getting paid overtime? Yoannis Cespedes. Do you hear about this story? Bobby... This was the most Mets thing ever. The Mets, of course, nothing can ever be normal. So the Mets put out a statement. We don't know where Cespedes is. He didn't show up for the game today. No one knows where he is. Then they put out another statement an hour later just saying, like, oh, we know that he's safe, so nobody be worried about his safety, but we still, like, don't know what his story is. And then we find out after the game that he's opted out of the season. The Mets, <laughs> Brody Van Wagen, the GM, gets on a Zoom call and says, yeah, we sent someone to the hotel to find him, and he was gone, and all of his belongings were gone. We just didn't hear from him. It's just so Mets, and I'm honestly, I was so excited for the season to start. Now we're 3-7. and seven. We had to deal with this Cespedes crap. 
I'm like, honestly, now I just want season to get canceled. I'm sorry, Bobby. I know the Orioles are giving you a good run, but like, just put me out of my misery now. I mean, it sounds like a professional wrestling storyline, right? That like, I was thinking the exact same thing. One of your players goes, your star players goes missing. And like, at first they're like, oh, maybe it's a safety thing. Like I saw the first news. I was like, oh my God, I hope he's okay. And then you hear that he just like packed up all the stuff and went home. And now you're waiting for him to like come back a week later and cut some crazy promos, like a scathing promo ripping Mets management. Yeah, I'm actually going to report some exclusive news here on the Chatter Up podcast, Bobby. This has not been reported anywhere. Not Tassin, not only, not any of the insiders. A source has told me that Ioannis Cespedes is a huge fan of the podcast, listens every week, found out that he was the Chatter champ last week, and he's like, you know what, I'm just going to go out on top. Like, things aren't, this week, things weren't going well. I just want to go out on top as the Chatter champ. And that's the real reason why he opted out. I'm telling you guys, I know it sounds crazy, but that's what the sources are saying. We look forward to having him on next week. Bobby, switching gears to the NFL, they put out their top 100 list. The biggest surprise was Patrick Mahomes coming in at number four. Lamar Jackson was number one, Russell Wilson number two, and Aaron Donald number three. You take any issue with that order? 100%. First of all, I take issue with this list in its existence. This list is ridiculous. It's stupid. And nobody should put any stock into it. But to have any top 100 list and Pat Mahomes is not... I mean, I, I, I can't see him not being number one. There's just no excuse there. You're telling me that you would rather start a team with Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, or Aaron Donald? There's just I, – I can't see an argument saying Mahomes isn't number one on any list. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because I don't know what the actual – is it a top 100, like top 100 what players, I guess, going into the season? I mean, you're right in theory. I don't know how you could put anyone but Mahomes at number one. But I don't know, how much weight do you give Lamar winning last season's MVP? I mean, I guess technically that means he was the best player in the league last year. He's still super young. He's not going to get any worse. I guess that's the justification. Like, the guy won the MVP, we have to put him at number one. But in actuality, you know, the biggest Lamar Jackson fan out there, I don't think you could say fairly right now that you take him over Patrick Mahomes. There's just, there's just no way. And, and honestly, this may even be the second biggest gripe on the list. The fact that Carson Wentz didn't even make the top 100 is absolutely insane and completely discredits any validity that this list has. And while we're throwing that out, we are bringing something new in as the Seattle Kraken are a new NHL team to debut soon. Thoughts on the Kraken, their logo, or their totally awesome name? I'm into it. I'm usually not into team names that don't end with the S. You know, every, every 99% of the teams end with like an S, so it's like a plural. Mm-hmm. It's like weird when it's like someone is a Miami Heat or a Utah. I, I, it just sounds weird. So this is one of those, but I actually like it. I think the, the logo is cool. Seattle, the green with Seattle looks awesome. I, I'm, I'm totally into it. Like, I mean, I had to hear 8,000 Gary Sanchez jokes about this, which, which kind of – Dinged it for me a little bit, but taking that to the side, I do, I'm into it. I think they did a great job. Finally, Bobby, let's close it out with some college football. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Who knows? But this week, the Pac-12 players put out a list of demands for the conference to meet, threatening to opt out if these safety protocols weren't put in place. Do you think this will actually come to fruition, Bobby? I think... Yeah, I, I, I do. And it, it, well, I mean, if the question is like college football will come to fruition, you know, toss up 50-50. Do I think that they get their demands met if college football does come to fruition? I think absolutely. And I think this is big on two regards. Number one, it's like people standing up for their health and it's the players taking a stand. So like just in a vacuum, it's a great thing. But also this could be symbolic of so many things moving down the road, things like with name and likeness, you know. Players banding together and sticking together and trying to make real change in a game that, like, you know, there's so many commissioners and ADs out there that are just like, yeah, we're definitely going to play. It's part of the fabric of, of American sports. And it's like, you're, you're an idiot. You know, like, there's no, there's no sport that's above that. And the thing is, as we've said before, you know, baseball is like the testing ground right now because the NBA is kind of different because they're in a bubble and they're the only sport in my opinion, that's doing this right. The NHL, like, too, though, I think is in a bubble, so they're, they've got a good chance. Sure, I agree. Fair point. The NBA and the NHL are doing this right. I love baseball, and I think this is a catastrophe, and I think the same thing is going to happen with the NFL, as with NCAA, and I just, I, 
I don't, I don't see it happening, but I think great on the Pac-12 players for banding together. Yeah, we've been very consistent on this. Anytime something like this comes out, the NCAA is as close to a legalized cartel as you have in American sports. And they've operated on such an unfair playing field with the players since the inception. And particularly in the last 20 years, things have finally started to shift. And now we're at the point that the players are like, this isn't, you know, 10 years ago, this would be a crazy story. Now it's not. And good for the players for standing up for themselves. And, and anytime pressure is applied to the NCAA, I love it. Jared, it's that time of the week again where we bring back our trivia segment with the Quizmaster, Jeremy Tuck. First of all, Quizmaster, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. Excellent. Well, you know, you didn't even ask, but I'm just going to tell you it's going great with me because I am coming off a winning streak. I am the champion, the reigning, defending, undisputed, unrivaled, unparalleled, heavyweight trivia champion of the world. Jared, that's right, right? It's it's tough because I usually really look forward to this this part of the podcast, this part of my week. But you have been unbearable this week and now I'm the pressure's on me because if I have to deal if I lose again and I have to deal with this for another week, we might just have to cancel a segment. I don't think that's even possible because if I go on a whoa, streak... whoa, 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 whoa. Cancel my segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, without further ado, let's uh let's get into this week's uh winning victory for myself. All right. First of all, you could stop pumping your tires now, Bobby. Um, okay. So last week uh, we visited the wide world of wacky sports, and I promised that this week we will do a basketball quiz, and I'm coming through. A couple of weeks ago, we did an NFL draft quiz. Everyone remembers number one. No one remembers number two. Well, that's a problem because this week we are remembering number two. We're going to go year by year, and you're going to tell me the finals runner-up. For half a strike, I'll give you the champion. And we're going to do a little bit of a new twist here. You can, uh, if you have strikes on you and you feel like gambling, you can, if you name me the finals MVP from that year, I will knock a strike off. But if you get the finals MVP wrong, you get a half strike. Uh, what like do you think, it. guys? I like it a lot. Yeah, making up the rules just like baseball. I love it. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I'm into, I'm <laughs> That's into just it. how I'm we're going to go. Okay. All right. Excellent. Um, Bobby, uh, you won last week. It's been noted. You get like to choose odd times. years or even years. Yeah, I know. To me also. Um, odd years or even years. I'll, I, I don't know. I'll, t- I'll take the even years. Even years. All right. So that's, uh, that's kicking, basically. Jared, uh, you're going to start. Who's the runner-up in the NBA Finals? Okay. The runner-up was Golden State, the Warriors. All right. And so I don't have a strike here, so I can't okay. get the MVP. I can't go to negative strikes, right? You cannot. I'll just tell you it was Kawhi Leonard. All right. So uh, it was, but that doesn't get you anything. <laughs> uh, so good for you. Fle- you know, flex your muscles a little bit. Bobby, 2018. Man, I'm already just like not even sure anymore. This is just, this is bad. So I, I, I'm pretty sure the, the, the Warriors won that year. And I can't remember if this was, or no, wait. Oh, boy. Did they? Whatever. We're going to go. Was it was it was that was that the Cleveland year? Uh yes, it was there a Cleveland year. There you go. All right. 2017, Jared, moving right along. That would as well be a Cleveland year. Yep. That was a Cleveland year also. 2016, Bobby. 2016. Golden State won 3, right? Then they went 3. I have it in front of me and I will not oh, tell man, you. Man, I can't remember was this All right, for half a strike, give me the champion. Uh, the champion with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Ah, uh, okay. All right. So they, they beat Golden State. They there did. Very good. You can redeem your half strike next okay. round. All right. So 2015 is Jared's turn. And it is once again the Cleveland Cavaliers were the runner-up. Yeah, they were. Very repetitive, this, uh, this era of NBA. Okay. So 2014, Bobby. 2014. I think... The runner-up was the Miami Heat? That is correct. All right. FYI, it was the San Antonio Spurs as a champion, and the MVP was Kawhi Leonard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Jared, moving right along. Bobby is half a strike now. Okay. 2013. 2013, I believe this is the year of the famous Ray Allen shot in Game 6. 
The Heat went on to win Game 7, grabbing victory from the jaws of defeat and beating the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know if that's all correct. I don't watch a lot of basketball, but I do know the Spurs were the runner-up that year. So you are correct. Uh, the Miami Heat did win that year. 2012 to Bobby. 2012, they, I know the Heat won. I'm trying to remember who they beat. That was LeBron's first championship. Oh, why is it not coming to me? It's not the Lakers. It's not the Clippers. Was it ever the Clippers? That's true. It was never the Clippers. I don't think this is right. Is it? Is it Oklahoma City? It actually is Ooh, Oklahoma City. Ooh, nailed it. All right. And care to erase your half strike by telling me the MVP? I assume it was LeBron James. All right. Back to zero. Big, big round for Bobby. That was a big round. Uh, we're back to square one, but it's only going to get more difficult because we're almost done with the decade. Uh, 2011, Jared. 2011 was Dallas beat the Miami Heat in what was a very forgettable finals for LeBron James. That's correct. I remember falling asleep on somebody's couch during that last game. 2010, Bobby. I have an idea, but I'm going to take the championship team to be sure. The championship team that year for half a strike was the Los Angeles Lakers. Was it the Boston Celtics? That's correct. And once again, you can't redeem your strike now, but you can next okay. turn. 2009. Okay, so now we're starting to Jared. get to a period of time where I'm becoming a little unsure of myself. As Tuck noted, we've, we've gone past the decade, but I, I'm not going to ask for it yet. It's about time. Yeah. Um, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure the Lakers beat the Orlando Magic in 2009. Yeah, you're on fire. Wow. Bobby, I, I'm sorry. This, it's not, it's, it's, he's really it's not even fair at this point. I know, right? You got 2008. Let's see if you can do it. I'm going to take the champion again for half a strike. For half a strike is the Boston yeah, Celtics. Oh, boy. Was it was it the Lakers? It was the Lakers, and you have a full strike on you now, so the MVP would knock it off, knock it off completely. Ooh, want, but you don't yeah, have to. Yeah, I want to take a shot at it, but there were three of them then, and I'm just not sure which one it was. I'm, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to go on record as not taking it. I'm guessing Paul Pierce, but I'm not taking the, the option. All right, then you don't get the strike because it was okay, Paul Pierce. Okay, okay. Okay, so because it's going to come into play very soon for both of you guys, I feel like, because we're going to 2007. And if I didn't look this up, I would never remember it. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't want to ask for it because I just don't. So I think... What, uh, you don't want to hurt your yeah, pride? Is I that have, what it is? I have an image to hold. Uh, I'm going to go... I think San Antonio beat Cleveland this year. They did. Wow. Wow. My God. Jared's unbeatable right now. Bobby, you have a full strike, and you're going for 2006. Oh, man. One of these years, the Pistons won it. I can't remember if it was 2006 or 2005. I can name you the entire starting lineup of the Pistons. When they won it, I can tell you that. That's not going to get you anywhere. At least not here. I will take the champion for half a strike. Uh, for 2006, the champion was the Miami Heat. That was the Wade and Shaq years. And the Miami Heat. Was it the Dallas Mavericks? Nice. That's Nailed correct. it. Uh, Jared knew before I said it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Dallas Mavericks, you have, I think, a strike and a half. Care to take a wager at the MVP that year? You have a 50-50 shot, really. I know, I know. I, I, I'm going to take it, and I'm going to say it's Dwayne Wade. That's correct. Nailed it. All right, so you're down to half a strike, and we're not getting any closer to the end. 2005, Jared. Yeah, 2005, I believe the Spurs beat the Pistons. Yep. 2004, Bobby. <laughs> so the Pistons would have had to have won this year. Chauncey Billups, Tyshawn Prince, the Wallace brothers, and Rip Hamilton. Just to, you know, They're not throw, brothers, were they? Throw my weight around there. No, they weren't brothers. Uh, but, you know, they, they were in my mind. Who did they <laughs> beat that year? They beat, I, I don't know, the Los Angeles Lakers? Correct. Oh, yeah! Uh, you have half a strike left if you want to take a shot at the MVP. But you don't want to again. You're not. You're not required to do so. I don't. I'm. I'm not. I'm not going to take it. All right. Do you want to know who it is? Was it Ben Wallace? It was not. It was okay. uh, C. Billups. Wow. Okay. Okay. 
All right, 2003, Jared. This is where it's getting tough, Bobby, and I, I'm really annoyed because I know the champion, so asking for that isn't going to help me. 2003, I'm, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure the Lakers won it. I'm trying to remember all the teams that they beat in that 3P. I know the first one. You know, I think I, I know all three. It's just a question of the order. I will say that year. Actually, you know what? Stupid. It wasn't the Lakers. You dumb, dumb. You, you idiot. It wasn't the Lakers, Bobby. You, you, you almost had me there. Your, your, your devious little smile there. 2003, the Spurs beat the Quizmasters, New Jersey Nets. They did, and it's I've never given up. Crazy, uh, crazy. Yeah, it, it it still it still sucks, but <laughs> they're gone now, and I have I have my Devils to watch, and the Nets can just you know go bye bye in Brooklyn. <laughs> uh, 2002, Bobby. At this point, I mean. I, I, I agree. I, I feel fairly confident the Lakers won it, but I'm spitting in the dark here. Who came out of the East, man? God, how old was Giannis at this point? He must have been, what, <laughs> like, like, like 10? What is, what is he now? It's 18 <laughs> years ago. God, um, who did the Lakers beat? I mean, I don't know, man. All right, let's, you know what? I've been, is it the Celtics? It's not. It's the New Jersey Nets. Wow, back they to made it twice in a row. Okay, Jared, two thousand one. Okay, so Bobby's at what? One and a half. I tell you, I'm very bitter. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Bobby's at one and a half. Jared's at zero, and I'm still bitter. Okay, two thousand one. So this would be the Lakers beating the Indiana Pacers. Ooh, strike Ooh. one. Wait, wait, wait. So, uh, okay, never mind. I'm not. I, I think I know who it is, but okay, go ahead. It's the Philadelphia Seventy yeah, Sixers. First year, damn it. Okay. All right, Bobby, millennium year, 2000, as far back as we've ever gone on this quiz, these quizzes. So I, I think Jared yeah. just, I, I think he just gave me a softball, so I'm going to take the Indiana Pacers. Yep, uh, care to venture who the MVP was to redeem one of your strikes? So much, I want to, and I'm so nervous to do it, but I'm, I'm going to do it. Is it Kobe Bryant? It's not, it's ah, Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, man, okay, okay. So you're on strike two now, is there that correct? Yep, yep, two strikes. Okay. Uh, so we have just entered the 1990s. 1999, Jared. Yeah, that would be the Spurs beating my New York Knicks. And I will say that the MVP was Timothy Duncan. All right, Jared, you're back to zero. And Bobby, I am so sorry. You, it's get, not you fair. got a bad year there. It's, it's the not Knicks. Fair. He's a Knicks fan. You, you didn't have it a was chance. It like basically there. the last okay. time he mattered, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, 1998, Bobby. Here we go. So these, these are the Jordan years. This is this is the oh, end. Oh right, okay. The last dance was um, yeah, very very good for you guys. We're well, speed through this, this aren't is we? the thing. I it's not going to be good for me right now. I can't remember who he won in the last at the end. You gotta remember. That's that what I think. Yeah. So like, is was it the Utah Jazz? It was the Utah Jazz, and then you can take your free strike off because you know who the MVP was. It's oh, Michael wow. Jordan. It is Bobby. You're back to one. Uh, Jared, 97. The same Chicago Bulls beating the Utah Jazz. All right. You're on zero, so great. Uh, Bobby, 96. 96. Oh, man. Um, Jordan won six, but he didn't win six. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to tell you if he won six or not. You should <laughs> no, know. No, I, I know. I know he won six. <laughs> um... But, but did he did he win in '96? Was it a three-peat? He went four. Oh boy, this is this is bad. The last dance was months ago. This would have been helpful now. Yeah, but it was at the beginning of all this stuff, and yeah. that's when everyone watched it, along with Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna take half a strike and just confirm the champion. It was the Bulls. Yeah, that's what I thought. The uh, Bulls. And who did they beat? That's the question. And so you have one and a half strikes now. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And they beat... Jared knows it. I can see it on his face. He knows it. I haven't... I haven't God, this I'm not positive. I haven't Out of the West... Um, I don't even know, man. Was it... Was it the Supersonics? Bobby on the money! It actually... It was! 
And uh, you want to knock down another strike? MVP? Michael Jordan? Who else there would it be? Is. There it is. All right, Bobby, you're now at what? Half a strike? Half a strike. Okay. <laughs> 1995, Jared. Yeah, that is Houston over Orlando. Wow. Are you kidding? Uh, Are you kidding? Correct. Yeah, that's right. Bobby, 94. What do you want from me? I don't know, man. I, who, who was two years old at this point? I don't know, man. Give we all the, were. Give me the championship. The Houston Rockets. You're at uh, one full strike now. The Rockets beat... I, I don't know, man. Who the Rockets beat in 94? Who... <laughs> Oh, God. 94, the Houston Rockets beat, I don't know, man, the Orlando Magic? The New York Knicks. Oh, that you know, I was going to say the Knicks. Strike two. Care to wager a bet at the MVP? No, I don't. <laughs> uh, all right, it's Hakeem Olajuwon. I was going to say him, but I, I there's no way I can risk that at this point. Jared, 1993. This is the Chicago Bulls over... The Phoenix Suns. That's correct. <laughs> Bobby, here's the situation. 1992. You can ask for the uh, finals winner, but yeah. if you get the if you get it wrong, you can't redeem yourself with the MVP. Right. If I get this right, and then Jared, assuming even he gets it wrong, it goes back to 1990. I didn't even know basketball was being played <laughs> in 1990. Fetus, fetus Bobby. You weren't even a sparkle up. in your parents' eyes. Uh, I want to. Okay. I'm going to take the champion for half a strike. Doubles. Yeah, I'm going to go with, I I might, I still think it was 91. Uh, 1992, the Chicago Bulls beat the Detroit Pistons. Uh, the Pistons and the Bulls are in the same conference. Oh um, my the, God. Wow. That's the correct Eastern answer. Finals. The correct answer is the Portland Trailblazers. And Bobby taps out in all of our birth year. 1992. It was a good year. Oh, I'm man. back. What a baby. round for me. I'm back. The king is back. But king is back. But credit where it's due. I did not expect uh, you guys to get all the way back to 92. That's a heck of a go, Bobby. You get a you get a round of applause. You did really well. Thank you, thank you. I will take my round of applause, but I will I will concede. I, listen, more than ever, I have given it a valiant effort, but the the rightful king <laughs> takes his crown. Thank right. you very thank much, you so much, Quizmaster. My pleasure, guys. All right, Jared. So let's dive into our chatter champ and chump of the week. I think it's time that we highlight the best and the absolute worst. And so I, I think we should do it where we start with the worst and end on a high note. Okay, starting with the worst. So I will start with this week's chump of the week. Last week, Bobby, your chump of the week was Dan Snyder. This week, I nominate the Denver Nuggets, Michael Porter Jr. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with the story, Michael Porter Jr. is a rookie on the Nuggets. He's showed some promise. It looks like he might have a nice future ahead of him on the court. Off the court, questionable. So Michael Porter Jr. was on a Snapchat q and I didn't know that that was a thing that people do, but apparently it is. And this is what he said. Personally, I think the coronavirus is being used, obviously, for a bigger agenda. It's being used for population control in terms of being able to control the masses of people. I mean, because of the virus, the whole world is being controlled. You're required to wear masks. And who knows what will happen when this vaccine comes out? You might have to take the vaccine in order to travel. Like, that would be crazy. We've all been brainwashed. Oh, man. Michael Porter Jr. Like, dude. I mean, it's a free country, right? You can believe what you want. And part of the magic living in this time period is that there are so many platforms for people to spread good things and bad things. And this is a bad thing. I mean, we know at this point, coronavirus has killed 150,000 Americans, tolls still climbing every day. And Michael Porter Jr., who's 22 years old, is out here telling everyone, I figured it out. This is some sort of government population control scheme. Now, I mean, the comments are ridiculous. You don't have to be a smart person to look at this and be like, this is idiotic. I can sort of like, I get the fact, look, he's 22 years old. We've all been there in the sense that like, 
when you're that young, you read one article about something and you're convinced now you're the smartest person in the world about it and everyone else is stupid and you want to look smart and tell them about this article you read. I've never stopped feeling that way. Right, right. I get that. But this is just one where it's like, dude, we're literally in the middle of this where people are still dying every day from this. We're so deep into it. And for him to come out and just be like, it's overblown. It's not a big deal. It's government population control scheme. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., congrats. If nothing else, you have earned yourself the chatter chump of the week. Yeah, like, what is he thinking here? You know, and he's not an established star like LeBron or Anthony Davis or Giannis or Harden or whatever. Like, the dude's basically a rookie. I mean, why would you come out with this? And especially you're in a bubble, like, what are you trying to gain here? Do you think that by you coming out with this, you're going to convince everyone else that they're being controlled? I mean, this is just putting aside the merits or lack thereof of his statements. Just the timing of this just seems absurd. This is why if you're an agent and you have clients in the professional sports leagues, rule one has to be never do anything live. No Instagram lives, no Snapchat lives, because it can only go wrong. And this is exhibit A, which is why next week we're going to do a live podcast. Well, let's, let's move on from the chump because that's what he is, is a chump. He's no Dan Snyder, but he's up there. And let's move on to the chatter champ of the week. Jared, the chatter champ this week goes to Nelson Cruz. This guy is 40. He just turned 40 on July 1st. And he is mashing and I mean mashing he started off the season he had a game against the White Sox on July 26th the Twins won 14 to 2 and in that game alone Cruz went four for five with two home runs two doubles and seven RBIs after five games he was hitting 381 I mean he's 40 it's incredible man the guy came on the scene, it feels like about, what, like eight years ago, and literally has just not stopped hitting since then. Every year, it's just, you know what you're getting, 40 homers, 100 RBIs, book it every single year. Doesn't matter how old he gets. It's really something. And the thing that really stands out to me about this is, in 2009 is when he really had his first, like, good year. He was an all-star that year. He had 33 home runs. And he didn't hit 30 home runs again until 2014 with my Baltimore Orioles. And that was the year after he was busted for PEDs. So they wound up giving him a one-year deal just to see what he could do. And he mashes 40. And here are his home run totals after that year. So he was 33 in 2014. He goes 40 home runs, 44, 43, 39, 37, 41. And God, in 60 games, I don't put it past him to hit 40 this year. (laughs) And what's crazy, like you look at his contemporaries, Think of like Albert Pujols and Miggy, Miguel Cabrera, two of the best hitters I've ever seen in my life, two of the best right-handed hitters in baseball history. And this is not to take away anything that they've done, but those guys are now shells of what they were in their prime. And they're about the same age as Nelson Cruz. And you look at them in completely different light. Whereas Cruz, who's like you just said, 40 years old and still regarded as one of the best hitters in baseball. And we have no indication that that's going to stop anytime soon. You keep thinking that there's going to be some season where he's just like, okay, he can't keep doing this. And he keeps doing it. And the best years of his career are the last eight. Are you kidding? This guy should have had what everyone else has, which is a great beginning. You kind of plateau at like, what, 29 or 30, and then you start to come down. He didn't even hit a stride until he was 33. I mean, this guy is the champ of the week. And might wind up being the champ of the year, which isn't even an award we can give out yet because we haven't had too many of these. But, man, this guy is special. I love 40-year-old mashing Nelson Cruz. All right, it's been a while since we've done one of these, and it's time to bring it back. This, Jared, actually, I would argue, is America's favorite game show. Could it work? And it's weird because there's like a silence there. I feel like there should be some music. I almost think it's like, come on down, Price is Right. Do, 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 do. Yeah, we need to get some music for that. It's a good idea. We got to get some theme music there. But it's time to bring it back. You've got it this week. 
Let's hear. Could it work? All right, Bobby. Baseball this year, we know it's a 60 game season. Everything is pretty much upside down. We have a whole new playoff system. We have crazy rules like the extra inning rule, whether you like it or not. It's obviously a huge departure from the way baseball has been played forever. And so I thought, why not make things even crazier? Shake it up. Let's just go crazy here. And I'm going to credit my dad with this idea because this is something that he's been saying for years. And it started off, thought he was crazy. Years passed. Now I don't think it's crazy anymore. He's a legend. So here's the idea. We know the way baseball has always worked is your starter pitches the first. Now it's like six, seven innings at most. Then your bullpen comes in, pitches the last two, three innings of the game. That's changed a little bit with the concept of the opener. You might have a reliever pitch the first inning, then the starter pitch, and then come back to the bullpen. But it's always the same way. The starter at the beginning, the bullpen at the end. Now, as Met fans, we've been watching Jacob DeGrom suffer under this structure for years. DeGrom will pitch the first six, seven innings of a game, pitch awesome, be in line maybe for a win. Usually they don't score for him, but just say he's in line for a win. Bullpen comes in, and it just feels like more often than not, they blow it. And so the question is, why are we having the bullpen pitch the most high leverage innings of the game, the seventh, eighth, ninth, and not the best pitcher on the team who's pitching the lower leverage inning? Are you specifically referencing Edwin Diaz here, just to be clear? I don't want to throw out any names, but... Okay. Sure. Okay. Let's go okay. Edwin Diaz. I see where we're going here. I see where we're going here. But so my point is, why not have Edwin Diaz and Jerry Familia pitch innings one and two, which are the least high leverage, right? Like if they pitch well, great. Now I have two scoreless innings and I can go to DeGrom for innings three through nine, which are more important than innings one through two. And if they don't pitch well, if they give up a couple of runs. Okay. Now I have six innings to make up that difference and I know I have DeGrom pitching who's not going to let the game get away as opposed to DeGrom pitches seven gives up one run I'm up one nothing Familia comes in gives up four runs and now I only have two innings to catch up why wouldn't I want DeGrom pitching the higher leverage innings so to be clear your central thesis here is changing the structure of how we pitch baseball games correct and so we're starting with short inning guys and moving to our, you could say better, or we'll say longer stretched out pitchers. Correct. Yeah. I guess there would be no concept anymore of like starters relievers. It would kind of be openers and closers, but like in a reverse way. Right. So this is an interesting one. The first point that comes straight to my head is that there's no reliever that started off as a reliever. All of them were former starters and they couldn't hack it for whatever reason. And so the traditional setup has your best pitcher, a la Jacob deGrom, a la Tommy Malone. <laughs> and you finish with your best reliever, but a guy that clearly like wasn't good enough at some point, and so now he's in the bullpen. Not to say that guys like Andrew Miller, Zach Britton in the past, Rivera, you know, name your favorite reliever, aren't absolutely deadly and lethal. But the guys were all starters at one point, and they weren't good enough to maintain that. And so now you're talking about, okay, you're putting your theoretically worst, and I'm using quotation marks here, your worst pitcher first and finishing with your best. And that's also not even necessarily true, right? Like if, if you do that scenario, and we'll just use your scenario, and DeGrom comes in in the third and he pitches, you know, three shutout innings, and then, like, in the fourth, he just, like, he gets hit hard, and he's up 90 pitches at that point. Now you're in the eighth, ninth, and now you're not only out DeGrom, you're out probably your two best relievers at this point. You know, what are you left with? I think, to your point, there is this idea of pressure that I think is then flipped. You know, in your highest leverage, highest pressure situations, you want the guy that's going to be your best. And in this case, it's Jacob deGrom. And so you're now taking a guy like, if you just use Edwin Diaz, we're saying, hey, man, go in the first inning and just pitch lights out for one inning. Pressure's off. He knows that if he messes up, it's not great, but it's okay. And you have your lockdown guy behind you. Now, that doesn't always work, you know, because we're using Jacob deGrom and how many Jacob deGroms are there. You know, in the Orioles scenario, we have Asher Wojciechowski. Wojciechowski is right. Does that right. change things? So, yeah, you would only really do this with like your best starters. Otherwise, it doesn't really matter. The premise is 
the starter is better than the relievers that you're going to bring in. So every team probably has like one of those. Most teams has like one of those guys. It doesn't have to be Jacob deGrom. He's an obvious example. But imagine in basketball, the Lakers said, all right, LeBron's only going to play the first three quarters, and then we're going to bring in somebody else for the fourth quarter. It'd be like, what? The fourth quarter is probably the most important part of the game, the most high leverage. So why wouldn't you put your best player in that position? And we've had this talk with baseball before. We did a cut at work with hitters in terms of putting them up in the highest leverage spots. But the thing is, you can't really control that under the current rules, right? Like, you can't guarantee that Mike mm-hmm. Trout's going to bat in the ninth inning. But here's a way where you could guarantee, maybe not guarantee is not the right word, because you're right, there could be a scenario where the guy gets hit hard in the fourth inning, or the fifth inning, you have to take him out. But you have much more control over your best player being in the highest leverage spot than you do under the current structure. And granted, the ninth inning is not always the most important part of the game. The third inning, theoretically, could be when you look back on a game, be like, wow, the third inning was actually the most important. When they had bases loaded one out, we got out of that jam. I want to ground in for that. Sure. But more often than not, the highest leverage points of the game are going to be innings seven through nine. And so I don't see why you wouldn't want your best player on the mound during those times. Does it potentially limit the impact of your best pitcher? So if you have DeGrom out there, and let's say he goes, so he comes into the third and goes seven innings. You know, let's say Edwin Diaz started off, he gave up a two-run home run, and you're down 2-0. And DeGrom comes in in the third, and he pitches lights out. He has seven 10-pitch innings. You know, let's just say he's just killer. And at the end of the ninth, you know, he's only pitched 70 pitches. And you're thinking, wow, like, why wouldn't I have put him in there to start in the beginning? Because when you're throwing your ace out there, a guy like DeGrom, a guy like Cole, a guy like Scherzer, it's not that you expect him to go a complete game, but you're not planning on taking him out. Like, you're, you're, you're going to ride him as long as you can. So are you potentially limiting the impact that that player has on your team versus throwing them out there in the beginning, just saying, hey, let's see how long they can go? I don't think so, just because you're right. In 1975, you could expect that when you threw out your number one guy, that guy was going nine innings. Just not the case anymore. Even those guys you mentioned, DeGrom, Scherzer, Cole, you really can't expect them to go more than seven innings at this point because it's just become so uniform that if a pitcher throws on the high end, 115 pitches, that's pretty much the limit. So, yeah, every once in a while you'll have a game like you just described where a guy is just cruising, throwing 12 pitches an inning, and ends up pitching into the ninth inning. But how often does that actually happen? And so I think in that situation you just described, Edwin Diaz started the game and gave up a two-run homer in the second inning. Fine, I can live with that. I've seen it way too often where he comes in in the ninth inning and gives up that two-run homer, and now the game's over. And it's like the whole DeGrom start was just wasted because Edwin Diaz came in in the highest leverage point and blew it, and now we don't have a chance to come back from it. Or we have one inning to come back from it as opposed to give it up in the second inning. All right, that's annoying. Sucks to be down 2 nothing, But I now have seven innings to come back from it, and I know my ace is pitching, and more often than not, going to keep me in the game and give me a chance to come back. So let's get to the scale, Bobby. The could it work, the famous 1 to 10 could it work scale. Practicality-wise, just realistically, could you see Major League Baseball doing this? Honestly, 100%. Baseball is constantly and has been constantly evolving, especially recently with the evolution of analytics and sabermetrics and whatever. And it would not shock me that somebody like, I don't know, Joe Madden or name your favorite guy comes out and is like, hey, we're going to try this crazy thing. I mean, the, the idea of an opener is, is, is still very new, and people are already coming around on it. It's not such an uncommon thing now. And so, yeah, I think 1 to 10, realistic and practicality, I mean, 8.5? At minimum, I think. I, you're right. Baseball is continually evolving. The idea of an opener, the idea of having a bullpen game, which is now mainstream. We saw teams do it in the playoffs, bullpen games, not even have starters. Ten years ago, we would have been like, what does that mean, a bullpen game in game three of the division series? And now teams are doing it. It's not a big deal at all. So I do think some analytically driven manager front office, and I don't know if this would work out analytically. Who knows? I don't know if this makes the most sense. But 
if the numbers say that it does, why wouldn't some team just be like, yeah, actually, it makes more sense. Like, we want Garrett Cole pitching the ninth inning instead of the second inning. The numbers point in that direction, so we're just going to do it. I think at minimum eight and a half. I'd go as high as like a 10 in terms of realistically could this happen. Doesn't mean it will, but wouldn't surprise me at all to see something like this. Yeah, 100%. And, and even if the numbers don't point it, I think at worst the numbers are inconclusive and somebody's going to take a flyer on it, especially a team that, you know, on the cusp, right? Like a, like a Cincinnati Reds kind of team. Like, hey, we're going to try this out and we're going to see what happens. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't. But, like, is it going to happen? I think it's, it's not an if, it's a when. Now let's move to the entertaining scale. This is kind of a hard one to judge, like, entertainment value because you're not actually changing, like, the nature. I mean, you are changing the nature of the game, but not, like, in a way that makes it necessarily more exciting. But maybe I'm wrong on that. Where do you stand? I actually think there is an element to this that makes it a little bit more exciting because if, if we take the playoffs – and you take an ace, you're like, okay, in the ninth inning, you know, let's say it's Yankees-Dodgers. Yankees are up one. Do you want to see the closer coming in in the ninth inning to face Cody Bellinger? Or do you want to see Garrett Cole? It doesn't change an enormous amount about the entertainment, but I would love to see Garrett Cole against Cody Bellinger in the ninth inning of a playoff game. I mean, I think that would be crazy. You know, maybe Cole is gassed. Maybe he doesn't have the same zip, but hell at a hundred pitches, Cole's still throwing 97 miles an hour and he's blowing it by you. And you're like, man, that's a matchup that you look forward to before a game. And then to put it in a high pressure moment in like the ninth inning or even the eighth inning, I think that adds more entertainment. I, you know, on a scale of one to 10, I think it has the potential to be a nine, but like overall, I'd probably give it like a, a six? Yeah, I was going to go five, kind of neutral on it. You're right, though, in the sense that some of the most memorable and exciting playoff moments are when you see starters come out of the bullpen in, like, a game seven to pitch late in the game. You might have had it with Randy Johnson in the 2001 World Series coming in game seven, pitching two innings, and Clayton Kershaw did it a couple of years ago in the Division Series. There is something more exciting when you see a Clayton Kershaw coming out of the bullpen or Randy Johnson coming out of the bullpen. Cause it's just so it's not natural, right? It's not the way we're used to it. Now, obviously that would change if this became the norm where the starter started pitching in the third inning, fourth inning, and therefore was available in the ninth inning. So I, that's what makes it like a five to me, but you're right in terms of the matchup potential. And like we talked about with the previous could it work with putting your, your best hitter up. Yeah. It'd be awesome to have the matchup of Scherzer against Trout in the ninth inning of World Series Game 7. Cole against Acuna. DeGrom against whatever it is. So I'm with you there. You and I agree. This is, this is great. All right, Bobby. It's that time of the week again. Time for America's favorite game show. Would you rather? Would I? By the way, I'm three and zero. And would you rather? I haven't haven't lost yet. Interesting. I didn't know we were keeping track of the standings. Okay, it's a it's a win lose. All right then, Bobby. Let's see how you deal with this one. So we've got an interesting one this week, Bobby. Let's fast forward. Hypothetical. We're we're getting into the time machine. Takes us to anywhere we want to go in the world, any dimension, whatever it is. And we've arrived in this alternate universe where, Bobby, your dreams come true. You have been offered a GM job, any sport you want, any team you want. But in each sport, you've got two real options. You're deciding between a team with history, a team with resources, a team with a real brand. Let's say in baseball, it's the Yankees. In basketball, it's the Lakers. Football, it's the Patriots, the Cowboys, a team like that, you know, all those teams have huge expectations when you take the job. It's not enough to win a division, to get to the playoffs. It's championships, championship or bust. But you know you'll have all the resources to do it. Or you take a job with a team that has no real history, no real brands, no real resources to speak of. A team like baseball, let's say the Rays, football could be like the Browns, in the NBA, honestly, it could be the Knicks. It's sad for me to say. But let's talk even like a smaller market team. Bobby, would you rather take the high-profile GM job of the team with all the expectations or 
the GM job of the team with no expectations. So, yeah, if I'm just putting it in the perspective of, you know, pick your favorite sport, I'll, I'll pick baseball for the moment and say it's like the Yankees or the Miami Marlins, or even they have money, Tampa Bay, whatever. Who do I rather be? I think my gut reaction is to be the GM of the team without the expectations and without the financial backing. And I say that for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's more job security there because when you go into that, there's a longer leash because they know that you're not going to turn that team around in one season. So you have a little bit of a longer leash. If you look at just as an example, Mike Elias in the Orioles, they knew he was going to lose a hundred games and do it several times and he wasn't going to lose his job over that. This is a long play. That's, that's what you do with these kinds of situations. Number two, if you succeed, you go down as arguably one of the greatest GMs ever. I mean, look at a guy like Billy Bean. Billy Bean hasn't ever won a championship in Oakland. And yet, he is widely regarded as one of the best in the game and may have changed the game forever. You look at a guy like Sam Presti in Oklahoma City. We just spoke about him. Prime example, guys looked at as a really great GM and still hasn't won a championship. And so I think the expectations are less. I think that you have a chance to change the game and cement your legacy. Versus on the other end, if you take one of these other jobs, take the Yankees or the Lakers, as you said, the expectations are so high up there that you're expected to win. And if you don't win, what, two seasons, then your job is on the line coming up. If you don't even make the playoffs, then we're talking about like, well, this is a disaster. You are not only your jobs on the line, but like future jobs are on the line. Like no one's going to want to hire you because they're like, oh, you've had this huge opportunity and you still mess it up with all of that money, with all the talent. For me, it's just, it seems like a no brainer, no? A couple of counterpoints, Bobby. On your first point of job security, you're right. You probably have more job security if you're going into a situation knowing, all right, this is going to be a five-year process, four or five years. But Brian Cashman, Brian Cashman obviously had a lot of success in terms of World Series championships at the beginning of his tenure. We know the Yankees won, what, five World Series between 96 and 2000. But the Yankees haven't won since 2009. And the expectation there is win the World Series every year. Now, the Yankees have obviously been extremely successful. They've been in the ALCS last year. They're in the ALCS in 2017. They've been to the playoffs pretty much every year. But they haven't won the big one. But Cashman's still there, still has a job, and he doesn't really have to worry about his job security, even with all the expectations. Another guy to think of, and maybe this is unfair because it's not the same position, but Jason Garrett with the Cowboys. Now, again, Mm -hmm. he was the coach, not the GM. But Cowboys are basically, in terms of expectations, the Cowboys are the Yankees of football. I think that's a fair comparison. Mm -hmm. They haven't done the same amount of winning, but – the expectation is that the Cowboys are going to be good every year, at least make the playoffs. And they really haven't under Jason Garrett. They've had a few years, a few notable years, where they made the playoffs and did well. They've never even made the NFC Championship game with Garrett, and yeah, they just fired him. But that was after, what, 10 years of like kind yeah. of underachieving? The other part of it is, if you get the job done, like a Billy Bean, if he does not even have to win a championship, and he's considered one of the best GMs, just because Oakland is pretty much relevant every single year with a payroll that's among the lowest, if not the lowest in the league, in a crappy stadium that doesn't draw anyone. It's amazing, honestly, that they're pretty much competitive every year. But if you don't get the job done there, and the chances are you won't, right? Because you're not going to have the same resources, so you're not going to have the money to get free agents to come. You're not going to have the market to get free agents to come, so you're pretty much going to have to do everything right. Draft well, develop well. It's such a small margin for error. Whereas if you're a team like the Yankees, you can hand out an albatross of a contract to a guy like Jacoby Ellsbury, seven years, whatever it was, $150 million, get literally nothing out of it and just write it off and give out the next big contract just as a Band-Aid for that big contract. And even if you don't win the World Series, you don't win the Super Bowl, you don't win the NBA championship, if your team is competitive and you end up getting fired because you didn't win a championship, someone else will hire you. Maybe that small market team will then be like, oh, this guy... Yeah, he didn't win a championship as the GM of the Cowboys, the GM of the Yankees, but he was successful. They were like in the playoffs every year. They were relevant. So let's bring him in here 
And even if you fail there, the next team will be like, oh, but he's had success in his career. Whereas if you take that job with a small market team and you fail, and again, the chances are against you because you don't have the same resources, you probably don't get another GM job because they're like, oh, he had the job in Tampa Bay. They sucked for three years. Why should we give him a job here? Yeah, I think that is all those are, are really strong counterpoints. I wonder if we're being objective, like who would have the shorter leash? I guess it's very dependent on the situation. I mean, Jason Garrett's a really interesting one only because it's, it's not the same because he's a coach versus a GM. But if we just use him as a case study, you're right. He was there for a long time. I think their best season, I think one year they went 13 and three and they were eliminated in the first round and they never, ever, I don't think they ever even made the NFC championship game. No. And he was around for a really long time. People seem to like him. Now, maybe maybe the difference there is that like the players like him versus in a front office role, you don't have that much interaction with the players. So there's really no one to come to your defense. It's you and you alone versus as a coach, you have the rest of the coaching staff, you have the players, fine, whatever. It's, it's tough because you have all the resources and you're right. You can like hand out a contract and just write it off and say, well, this one didn't work out. But on the flip side, if you look at the Redskins, for example, and they handed out a hundred million dollar contract to Albert Hainsworth, immediately it was like, this had better pan out. And when it didn't, everyone was up in arms immediately. There was no like, Oh, just go out and sign another one. It was, this is a disaster. Get the hell out of the front office. And so I wonder, you're right, the smaller market team does not have the resources to be able to do that. You're right that it's working against them. You're right that everything kind of has to go right. I think your best point, which I agree with, is that if you just take both as an example and they both get the same amount of time, so right, the GM with the better team, the GM with the smaller market team, and they both fail – the guy with the larger market team is probably going to be more likely to get another job. And I think that is a really interesting point, which gives me pause as to which one I'd rather from just looking at long-term security. Like if I succeed, I'll have longer term, no matter what, if I don't, which is likely you're right. Cause I'm betting against the house here. Do I then take the other job? If you had to choose right now, putting on the spot, what do you, which job are you taking? I think I'm taking the big market job. I want everything in place for me to succeed. I want to be able to not need every single thing to go 100% right for me to succeed. And I at least have the fallback of if the Yankees hire me or somebody like the Lakers hire me, somebody out there is going to be like, well, if the Lakers thought that this guy could be a good GM, they must have seen something in him that even if things didn't go exactly as they planned, we'll give him a shot here. I think that's fair, but I still think I'm going to disagree with you. I think that you are given more of a rope in your current tenure to fail in the smaller market club. And then if, you know, you're you're given a lot of time and if you don't get it right, okay, sure. But also just the sheer satisfaction of being able to take something that nobody else could do. I mean, that's amazing versus if I took the other job. I also think Brian Cashman is the exception, not the rule. There's not a lot of guys that are like him that have had the career that he had. And he also kind of just lucked into the job, really. He was an intern for Steinbrenner and kind of worked his way up through the organization, which is not so common anymore. I heard him say, like, he would never get the job anymore because now it's all, like, you graduate from, like, Harvard, Yale, MIT, and, like, you have these, like, crazy degrees. And those are the guys that become front office executives, not like the Brian Cashman started as an intern types anymore. But anyway, go ahead. But exactly. And that's, that's the point. And so I also wonder, would we still be seeing Brian Cashman as the GM of the Yankees if he didn't win immediately? If he had not won immediately, yes, he's had a much longer rope. They haven't won for a little over a decade now, the championship, but he has a track record of doing it. And so that in the mind of a lot of people would be like, it's good forever, especially with a guy like Cashman. If he hadn't won earlier, would he still be the GM? I don't know. And he's an interesting talking point, too, because, for example, if any other GM, pretty much, of, of any team, 
wins two championships, they're automatically thought of at that point as like a great GM. If you get to three, you're like one of the best ever. And with Cashman, I don't think that was the case. Now, I think a lot of people recognize that he's a great GM because of how long he's done it for. But I think a lot of people, like in the early 2000s, after the Yankees had won a few World Series and then stopped winning for a few years, people just looked at him as like a bookkeeper, an accountant, that it was like, okay, who's the best free agent on the market this year? It's this guy, so I'm going to offer him the most money. He'll come play for us, and we'll win. And if it's like, if you win, at that point, everyone's like, well, great, that's what you're supposed to do. You have the most money. You're paying all the free agents. If you don't win, it's like, I could do that job. Why is he still holding the job? All that being said, I think I would still take that situation. And this is where we differ, and that is okay. I just think slightly less of you. Another week, another episode in the books. Congrats, Jared. We did it. We're two touchdowns in, Bobby. Episode 14 in the books. In the books. And if you liked this one, then you will definitely want to come back next week for episode 15 it is a multiple of five which means that it is some sort of a milestone in somebody's book next week we'll have a whole bunch more we'll do another what did i miss where we look at the week's past sports headlines we'll do a whole bunch of fun and games jared and i will yell at each other for an hour and hopefully you will enjoy that who doesn't enjoy that bobby i mean is there a person out there no not at all because you yelling at me and me yelling at you, it just winds up being that I'm right and it's, it's great. Well, I don't know about that, but it makes for great content. And like Bobby said at the beginning of the podcast, if you haven't already, please subscribe on whatever podcasting service you listen to us to. Give us a rating and review. It helps us get the show out there. And that's what we're looking for. And that's what you want. More episodes of Chatter Up in your feed, right? We want to thank the quiz master again for giving us his time this week, putting together another fun quiz. Find us on Twitter at chatter underscore up. Find us on Instagram, same handle at chatter underscore up. And you can send us an email at chatteruppodcast at gmail.com with any ideas you have. If you've got a would you rather you want us to talk about, a could it work, any of that kind of stuff, send it our way. We'd love to hear from you guys. We look forward to seeing you all next week on the next Chatter Up.